where a lot of people are criticizing the scaled agile framework, I think we need to remember that it actually made a significant contribution at its time in terms of, of the more mechanistic scaling of teams into a predictable operation. It was a big thing back in the zeros. So what I actually see is the Agile Manifesto amazing around team agility, the scaled Agile framework amazing around the first exploration of, of how could we help teams work together. Agile Amp shares stories of bringing agility and humanity into the workplace and beyond. Inspiring and provocative voices speak on topics from technology to business to living change. Dedicated to building a more agile world, Agile Amped is brought to you by Accenture. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Agile Amped UK. On this episode, we have a new guest, we have Morten Elving, who is the business agility lead for Europe at Accenture. Hi Morten. Hi Mark, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. We're really excited about this conversation um, and would look forward to exploring the next um, 30 minutes or so together. Uh, I think in the uh, prior to hitting record, uh, we're talking about open strategy and, and your passion and, and keen interest in, in that space. And I want to start diving into it. So let, let's start with a bit of reflection on strategy. You know, most of us probably are familiar with what a strategy is, but what is open strategy? So for me, this all started with how can a lot of people do fancy technology together? What's the most useful way of, of setting you up to work? And that topic led me into portfolio management and strategy execution. Um, and then obviously in that context, you, you tend to take the strategy for a given, but gradually, and I guess you will ask more questions about it, so I'll not give it all away, but gradually that actually led me to look at strategy and what is called open strategy. So the thing is that it's actually also about the need for openness. And if you accept a need for openness, then one of the areas where you will have the biggest impact is around the strategy. So in my conversations around this, I distinguish the need for openness versus open strategy and the potential in this versus what it actually is. And you, you said there a couple of times the need, right? Um, strategy for many years, it's it's that black box that is hidden somewhere in the top management and it's something that everyone needs to execute on. But you're saying the need to open that box. Why there is a need? Well, it, you can say in ways it's twofold because it, it is actually something which has been a bit of a dark spot and, and people even joke about it. Uh, so when I'm... I'm giving talks under the title, How Strategy is Changing. Then uh, we, we play a thing with people. We do this saddest act for nothing hill. And we ask people to fight for the brownie by telling sad stories they have heard around strategy. We do emphasize, please do not speak about your own company, but everybody speaks about their own company. And there is a number of classical stories that just repeat itself, like the people who were asked but not really heard and don't see themselves in the strategy. Uh, the strategies that keep changing with changing leaders, etc. There's a few handful of prototypical cases, but all have in some way, shape and form witnessed that there is some disconnect between the strategy and what is actually going on 
either with you or, or with your company. And it's been spoken to by many authors in the past. Then you can say, what is, what is the need? Well, it actually comes a bit from the observation that uh, the world is getting more and more turbulent. So that also means that when you have turbulence, like a road that suddenly starts going up and down and left and right, you, you need to have a car where the wheel is connected to, or the steering wheel is connected to the steering of the car. But actually the strategy is in many cases having a loose coupling. So what we see is that with, with increased turbulence and the increased need for changing direction fast, you need to have some coherence in the organization or you need to be constantly aligned. You cannot afford to lose that connect. And the strategy is quite simply is the highest level of operational planning. That's where all your visions and dreams and aspirations get turned into how you spend your money and how you drive your more operational planning. So there is an increased urgency and need around the strategy also for this reason. So you're almost suggesting that for for a long time, the way you know many businesses have been going about it is a little bit broken or it's not reaching its full potential, uh, to put it differently. Would, would that be a fair summary? Well, the, the anecdotes and stories around is at Libitum on this. So you endless. So the, the numbers you typically see is that in a typical organization, it's only five to 10% of people who would actually know or understand the, the strategy. When you go to more senior leaders or even executive leaders, the top leadership, it's about half by the numbers. And those numbers have been consistent over the years. And you can say, of course, that begs other interesting conversations, but the numbers as such have not been changing for a number of years and been spoken to by many thought leaders in the, in the leadership and project management industry. And speaking of conversations, you, you seem to have had a recent interesting conversation with Chad GPT. Do, do you want to tell us a little bit more about your conversation open strategy with ChatGPT. How did that go? I released something on LinkedIn, uh, which was a bit of a conversation. What what would a skeptical CEO like to know about open strategy? And it actually came from me looking into the topic. So the thing with open strategy is that it isn't really new. It's been researched for 20 to 30 years, and there's a long list of publications in this area. But recently it has gained new relevance so in writing up on some of this, I cheated and used chat DBT to do some of the hard work on some of the sections I wanted to, to write by simply asking it some questions and using the, the answer and then, and then uh, editing it to, to my taste. And one of the more, one of the things I found a bit more fun myself was this, what would a skeptical CEO like to know about open strategy? And uh, I, I really cheated on this one because I think I changed about half. So it's pure fiction, which I also make clear. Thinking about that conversation and the role of the leadership in strategy, is that where you see the, I guess, the responsibility of opening up strategy, of making strategy accessible, making the business aware of, of where the business is heading and what the business is thinking? Where do you see the, where do you draw the line on the ownership of strategy within a business? That part is actually unchanged and also as broken as ever. Um, to, to explain this, I started in conversation to, to distinguish between 
driving for results, worshiping, worships, avoiding bad things from happening. And uh, increasingly, we start to have a need for avoidance to become a more significant part of, of what, what we are doing. Uh, we have seen recent research published uh, by the Danish professor, who just wrote a book together with his partner, Dan Gardner, How, How Big Things Get Done, which is an amazing collection of experiences. So one thing they argue in this book is that you often overlook how bad things go when they start to go bad. bad. You are simply overlooking that uh, it's not just like a normal distribution with, with sweet sides, but it's actually what is called a fat tail distribution, which you can also explain as a bottomless pit should you fall off the side of the cliff. There is no, there is no limit to how bad it can go when things start to go wrong. So you simply run at a too high risk level on a normal basis, and, and very often it goes well. But for the cases, and I think we all know of them, when it starts to go bad, it goes very, very bad. Yeah. And uh, if I'm looking really at a high level, before we deep dive a little bit, what are we asking businesses not to do anymore? What should they change? It, it's not a big change to what's being done, but it's also adding like another dimension. Um, what you see, and this is also well documented, in, especially in large corporations, there's a, there's a group of people who have built their careers by by limiting access to people and information. So they are basically like internal information and power brokers. So that also means that information doesn't flow freely. And in, in a nice sunny scenario, that's not really a problem. But when you start to be exposed to like a constantly changing environment, etc., it's super important that information can flow unfiltered and you can have access to information unfiltered that that basically the signals will pass through. So we have a few examples where, actually quite many examples where big companies crash and in hindsight, they actually had access to information that could have avoided that to happen, but for some reason or another, they didn't manage to utilize that to their full advantage. I was part of one of those cases myself, working more than 10 years with Nokia mobile phones during the zeros and also sort of in the in the end of that era. And I think basically all the information you would have had, you would have needed to make different choices was available. The, the shift from an operator-driven market to a more ecosystem-driven market, etc., well, was there for grabs, but it wasn't enacted on. Also, I was in a much more junior position back then, so I wasn't really part of that. It's only something I have reflected in hindsight and I think, again, there is a number of other cases of a similar nature. Thank you for sharing that use case with us. And I, if I take what you said around kind of getting the information unfiltered and unpack that a little bit more, in, in your experience, how, how can we make that a bit of a seamless process for businesses, you know, to, to, to feed strategy from, I guess, from an, the execution level, right? And I guess that, that's what you are getting into. Yes, so, so the, uh, the no, it's a, it's a great question, and and I think I have only I have only beginning to understand this myself, and it, it's a bit of retrospection. I, I think it's about forming an ongoing conversation 
in the organization, which is broad enough to encompass all significant viewpoints, but not so broad that it, it consumes all type uh, capacity. But really, I would say that, that the way to proceed, and this is one idea, I'm sure there will be many others, but one way to pr- proceed would be to open up for a constantly ongoing conversation if as an organization we are pursuing the best possible objectives. The thing is that if you if you allow yourself to pro- progress in a more segregated and siloed way, you might make local choices which over time will 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 prove to be suboptimal compared to other things you could have done had you taken a broad enough view. And and of course it's a bit of a tricky balance, but there's no di- doubt in my mind that compared to where most large organizations are today, they would really benefit from having a more collaborative and more open approach to deciding where they spend their time and effort. And also the good news is, for example, our CEO spoke about this at the World Economic Forum when we talked about total enterprise reinvention and compressed transformation, is that with the right tooling today, you can have your business applications work in a mode that you call one truth. So actually, you have a lot of cohesion coming from your application infrastructure, which potentially can ease up the governance and the collaboration around how people work that you can allow for the broader and less hard-coupled collaborations because your application infrastructure take care of some of the needed coordination. I think we start to see some amazing and even beautiful and very provoking examples of, of what's the uh, what's the edge of the possible. So where does LPM comes in the picture here? If we try and give what you said a little bit of, of a framework, if you like, how much how much of an LPM comes in play? So with the lean portfolio management, well, um, again, it's it's a take I have had on it. I was very fortunate to get to work with the scaled agile frameworks, uh, quite recent addition with lean portfolio management back in 2019, just when it came out. Of course, I know there was some run-up to that, but really just as it, as it was released, I was very fortunate to get to work with this. And I have I have been, even before that, I have been reflecting on this and, and also after. So for me, the L in this lean portfolio management is about minimizing wasted opportunity. Classically, lean, you say it's about uh, it's about avoiding waste. In in the lean portfolio management, which is for knowledge work, I think it's about avoiding wasting opportunity. So I've taken that a bit as a mantra, and then in my own reading, I added a C for the collaboration, which I think it's very important for the reason we just talked about that you take a collaborative approach to open up the circles for the conversation with the overarching objective of, of not throwing away good opportunity simply because you blindly make the uh, the wrong choices. Then portfolio management itself, interestingly, is actually synonym with strategy execution. So if you have a portfolio at the highest level, it would be a portfolio conversation that would be governed by the strategy. That's also how the scaled agile framework sets it up. It, it works from a strategic intent and breaks that then down in, in the basis for, for your execution. So quite literally, portfolio management in a knowledge working organization is strategy execution. Uh, then the last thing that that I learned is that in in the path towards more openness, of course, that's an endless journey and there's no limit to in that sense, how much you can stress the boundary of openness. I think for a number of good reasons, it doesn't always make sense. And in very few cases, it would make sense to just have everything just fully open. 
openness is, for example, not the same as democracy, which is a common misunderstanding. But in a, in a first very significant step towards more openness, the biggest barrier is the internal power structure that we talked about before. So there is a lot of kickback from the established organization. And what I personally learned is that you can use the ideas of collaborative lean portfolio management, as I have described them, a bit like a can opener to defragment and reconfigure and recombine the portfolio conversation to be less fragmented and taking part in the silos. You can say you often have these meetings, which is all about talking about what other people talk about in other meetings. So if you defragment all of this and take it into one open, trustful conversation, you can avoid a lot of that speculation. You really reduce a lot of room for for politics and sub-optimization, etc. And in that sense, simply by instigating a conversation with what you would have done anyway in a more open way, you make a big step in that direction. So in that sense, for that journey, it's really like a first step and uh, Interesting, we have also learned a lot of people say that it takes years to change the culture and if you really want to change your governance model, it, it takes a long time. But the matter of the fact is, and I have done this many times, is that you can set this conversation up within weeks or months and get going in that way. And then, of course, there's a lot of other things to do, but to actually get started in a significant new way is not as far as way, away as, uh, as some people might think. Thank you. And I know that you published a book on uh, CLPM, and for me, I want to focus on the C and, it, and the collaboration part, uh, perhaps mainly because of how difficult it can be to get a large enterprise collaborating seamlessly, frequently, to ensure that that strategy is being executed on. What are some of the best practices to bring that open strategy vision to life and, and to execute well um, on it? What? One thing that's deep, deeply embedded in this is the idea of intent-based leadership, as uh, David McKay has been communicating. And I'm probably s- stealing his idea with pride and changing it a little bit. So from 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 sort of controlling the submarine to to go up and down or or whatever you do in it is except firing the missiles, as he explains. This is. Uh, this is now actually about a contribution. So rather than communicating intent, you communicate contribution. You will have a conversation to say, this is how I contribute to meeting our objectives. And by everyone laying on the table, what is their contribution against the part objectives that they have taken on? You actually get a bit of transparency. Part of this is also to volunteer options to say, you know what, we have a bit of slack on our hands and we're actually thinking we will utilize this to pursue this objective. This then becomes like an option you can do or not do. So in that conversation, you would be able to compare that with other available options. And in that sense, not just have people decide, this is how we spend our time and money in our silo, but actually allow yourself to be challenged with what's what's the opportunity in other areas. Could you Could you work more together? So in that sense, one of the mantras is that you you make everything visible so that it can be challenged. It's something I took away from our colleague, Steve Davies, who's, who knows a lot about these areas as well. So you make everything transparent so that it can be challenged. And in that challenge or that opportunity to challenge, you have the optionality. You said you can 
you can decide or not what to do based on a holistic assessment of, of what the opportunity cost is. I love that. And on David Market, I think that that's a, that's a brilliant framework you referenced there. So for our listeners, intent-based leadership, you can look it up on LinkedIn. I think David is quite quite published as well in, in that space. Um, what I loved in, in your summary there, Morton, is you seem to be very agnostic of a particular framework or agility framework when it comes to your thinking around the collaboration piece. And I think it's very often that we as passionate agilists, we like to jump straight to the framework and we try to put the container around things, right? And give it give it a playbook. What's your take on every framework out there that's trying to address lean portfolio management? Do you see a silver bullet? Do you see a everything should be tried and tested? What's your what's your take on it? Just a few punch points. Dave Snowden often talks about uh, Taylor as making a significant contribution in his time. In these days where uh, where a lot of people are criticizing the scaled agile framework, I think we need to remember that it actually made a significant contribution at its time in terms of, of the more mechanistic scaling of teams into a predictable operation. It was a big thing back in the zeros. So what I actually see is the Agile Manifesto amazing around team agility, the scaled Agile framework amazing around the first exploration of, of how could we help teams work together. Kanban, which is actually my personal favorite, is uh, deeply inspired by Don Reinerson and his uh, semantics and flow. And, uh, and according to him, at least at the time, Kanban is agile tool, even if I don't necessarily like that name, but let's call it that for now, that best captures his idea of the flow. Uh, but I think the world is moving on. I actually think that uh, you could even build the argument, and I know it might be provocative that that when you have senior leaders decide to sponsor Agile, it's a false transfer of accountability because it's a little bit you're, you're giving the means without giving the means is that there's, there are some constraints in what the teams are allowed to do, but it's in the pretend that they are completely accountable and responsible for everything they do. But because of the close nature of organization, that's rarely the case. And uh, a Danish psychologist some years ago documented that the worst you can do to people is to give them responsibility without the true means to exercise that responsibility. It actually fuels stress and frustration. And I think from 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 the good path we have been on with with team level agile to like team of team agile to a bit like a grassroots thing. Now when it has started to be a choice of the organization as a as a top driven things, it, it, it has started going in the wrong direction. And uh, I think a lot of us in the agile business have thoughts around this. And my reflection is that that some of the things I suggest with the collaborative lean portfolio management and later the need for openness and, and open strategy as one of the most important areas in that context is that we gotta go back and question the whole foundation for how do we how do we organize, how do we how do we form our cultures, how do we think about knowledge work with uh, with some of the things that our company can help with in, in terms of uh, of uh, modernizing the uh, infrastructure and and like explained in total enterprise invention that you can have like one truth. It gives new degrees of freedoms to what you can do from a governance point of view. 
you can basically throw out a lot of the old control mechanisms which no longer serve any purpose because you have fundamentally transparency. And if you can add trust and openness to that equation, it becomes very, very powerful. Nice, lovely. And you do work with a lot of our clients. Your observations on the the uptake rate of open strategy or the thinking behind it, where do you see businesses are in terms of their adoption levels? Are they there? Is there a lot of work to be done? You know, what's next for, for open Isn't strategy? It's really only at the beginning. So if you look at the classical work on open strategy, and again, with the risk of me having overlooked something, uh, so most of the work in open strategy is about the strategy formulation. However, if you if you try to take things into sort of more accepting of the untamable nature of complexity and, and that you cannot really control what happens in the environment, what actually happens is that there is a shift from strategy formulation to strategy execution, that they, they have always been dancing partners. But the stronger one has traditionally been the strategy formulation, and then you do the cascading or chevron type of approach, that then you do the execution. So execution is the slave of formulation. But if you accept that anything can change at any given time, it changes the execution to be the stronger part. It actually also changes your time perspective from being on cadence, which means like a yearly strategy process, to be on demand, which is a different perception of time. According to Greece, uh, methodology or Greek philosophy, they have four different notions of time. One is chronos, like the cadence, and the other one that I refer to here is called kairos, which means when the time is right. So today, because of the turbulence, you, you actually need to strategize not when you want to, but when the time is right, unless you want to wrong for yourself. And, and since that then means that you cannot really stand on that because you never know when the time is right and when it is right, it means that that uh, the the strategy execution becomes a stronger part, which resonates really, really well with the time horizon being slightly more short-sighted and the approach to be a bit more adaptable and adjusting. And it doesn't mean that you cannot do long-term deliberate strategy, but it just means that you've got to be more on your toes in the near term to whatever is changing around you, even even for the long term. Yeah, beautiful. And... Uh... Yeah, I didn't realize that you're passionate for Greek philosophy, which might be something we, we share in common for perhaps an episode for another day. Um, but listen, I think we just came to the end of our time. How, where would you point our listeners online to read more, to follow you, to just you know indulge themselves into Oprah's strategy? Well, if you want just one hint and you haven't looked at it before, Dave Snowden has been working for many years on the Kniffin framework. And uh, at its 20 years birthday, his friends wanted to to surprise him with a birthday book. So that's actually a wonderful place for you to just browse through. I have my own favorites there. You can can read about those in in the book and the blog. It just opens up your mind. And uh, what what a lot of people don't always appreciate is that the Kinefin framework has four quadrants. And the middle one traditionally was called Confused. And uh, what Dave Snowden suggests is that confusion is actually good. It means that something is changing, but you're not really on top of it. And what we normally do is that we, we rush out of it. We jump to conclusions. But what I would encourage everyone to be is that whenever you feel that something is not right about your strategy, allow yourself to be confused and explore it. Don't just just 
don't just brush it off or jump out of it or go back to the classical whatever you're doing because there is something there which is not working and it's going to bite you harder than ever before so so just stay there and enjoy that element of confusion and and uh, browse the Kniffin birthday book while you try to straighten out your thoughts or you can even zoom into my blog which is uh, where I try to put what I learn beautiful and uh, I'll be linking everything Morton shares on LinkedIn online into the episode notes for this one when it's published Morton thank you for sharing your time with us today thanks a lot for having me Thanks for listening to this episode of Agile Amped. If you learn something new, please tell a friend, coworker, or client about this podcast. For more inspiring conversations, subscribe to Agile Amped on your favorite podcast app.